Testing. Testing. Hey guys, it's Will and Keith. I'm Keith. And I'm Will. And I'm Will. Oh God. <laughs> oh, you are amazing. This podcast is amazing. The, the microphone just just set itself on fire. I love this podcast already. <laughs> Will and Keith embrace the process. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Okay, we're recording. Why don't you show me a vocal warm-up? A vocal warm-up. All right, so Will was complaining uh, when we were off the air that he's mumbling too much still to this day in our podcast. Is it a complaint when I'm... And you were complaining about your own inadequacies. Yes. You were confessing, perhaps. Uh, So we're going to do a vocal warm-up. I haven't taken an acting class in years and years. You should be teaching them. You're Uh, such a pro. I know, I'm such a pro. I should definitely be teaching... But okay, so I'll I'll lead you in a little bit of uh, uh, we'll do a classic. This okay. is a Stone Cold classic. Are you ready? So I just, love I love it. Just follow along with me. It goes like this. It goes, yeah. Turn off your stupid phone. That's step number one in the vocal warm up. <laughs> remember that from the nineties. Yeah, remember <laughs> your smartphones on silent, and then yeah. Why do you have a smartphone? Did you come here from the future? <clears throat> All right. So the warm up goes like this. Mommy, me, mo, mommy, me, mo, moo. Mame me mo, mame me mo, moo. And then it keeps going up. Mame me mo, mame me mo, moo. 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 Let's do one more. Mame me mo, mame me mo, moo. Excellent. Very good. And then. Can we high five? High five, yeah. That's an important part of the process. <laughs> How do you feel? Do you feel warmed up? I feel like I'm ready to project. Yeah, baby. Hello, microphone. It's not just Keith. I'm here also. <laughs> That's pretty good. Thanks. Nice. Well, good. Well, hey. So welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, welcome to our our, our 12th episode. Yeah. I'm, I'm liking to think of it as a season finale. You mentioned that, yeah. I don't know if podcasts do seasons. But I don't I, know either. I think that we should. Okay, so when you say season finale, is that your way of saying that you don't want to do this anymore? No. I was just thinking that we could sort of put a, a punctuation on what we've done so far, mm-hmm. and then, you know, maybe come back next episode with maybe a new intro, Yeah. maybe a new uh, uh, graphic... Um, Pouring the coffee, by the way. I know this is the highlight of our show for many people. So, the best part of waking I should, up I should do is it. Will and Keith embrace the process. <laughs> See, that is a good intro. Yeah, yeah, that's way better than what we have. Um, yeah, no, I like that. Yeah, to start a little bit of a clean slate, and uh, and I think your idea for this week was that we would take a little time to reflect. Yeah. On the the process. Yeah. Over the last twelve episodes. Uh, maybe talk about what it's been like for us, or what we've learned, or what we haven't learned. Yeah, and we had talked about coming in today with some ideas. Uh, uh, oh, with ideas. Uh, you know, I, I had said that maybe we should just make a little list of things. Obviously, we didn't do that. You did say that, and I completely forgot. Yeah, I remembered that I said that, and was constantly remembering that I wasn't doing it. I completely forgot that you said that, and I spent... The whole weekend in a bit of a haze because I got my second dose of the Moderna vaccine on Friday. Mm. And on Saturday, it kind of knocked me 
on my butt. Um, I didn't have it as bad as I guess some people have had it, but I was fairly exhausted all weekend long. And I'm excited right now because I feel relatively energetic. I feel like I'm coming out of the woods. Yeah, you seem your energy seems seems healthy. Well, it's those vocal warm-ups. They yeah. really they really keep I, it I'm, I feel like I'm glowing, <laughs> but it could just be that I need to take a shower. Yeah, it could be a little bit of both. Cheers, mate. Cheers, hey. Episode 12. Yeah, we did it. Very exciting. the idea of, of, of seasons, um, maybe just because it reminds me of, you know, the shows that I like and just the, that feeling of, of sort of compartmentalizing sections. Yeah. Not that I expect anything to really change. Right. I think it's fun to pretend. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, it's, it's fun to have sort of discrete units of whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and yeah, it's good to take a second and reevaluate things and, and think about what you'd like to do differently or do the same or the same but different. Mm. Um, yeah. So, great. So this is the end of season one. I did have a fairly funny moment because the last time we recorded, uh, you were like, hey man, next episode's episode 12. Like, it's a big milestone. You know, we should do sort of a reflection and an anniversary. And then I said something... <laughs> To my brother, just after you left, I was like, oh, you know, well, so we're going to try to celebrate next week because it's episode 12. And Devin was like, oh, is, is that a thing? <laughs> and I had just been so totally sold on this concept that, like, 12 was a really important number. And then I was like, yeah, uh, of course. Everyone knows that in a podcast. Come on, man. Yeah, I mean, 12 months in a year, Devin. Get yeah, with it. 12 apostles. Yeah. Uh, I guess. Signs of the Zodiac. Yeah. A lot of things I don't believe in. Yeah. Mostly things I don't believe in. Although, to be clear, I do believe in the 12 months of the year. Okay. That one is solid yeah. for me. Uh, the other two, I'm not, I'm not so low. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, so we have decided that, that episode 12 is a, is a milestone. Uh, and so we're going to talk about the, the process. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's going to be a big to-do. Yep. You know, where we're all the fanfare. We talked about having a special guest. That also did not happen. Now, I, I thought maybe that we should call someone. Okay. Or maybe a few people. I'm totally up for that. And just and just see what happens. We can edit it. Yeah, oh, oh do, do we edit these? Uh, I've always assumed that <laughs> it just went out live to our three listeners. It feels that way, yeah. Someone is very slowly opening the door. Oh, it's our special guest! Come on in, Deb. It's our special guest, Devin McEwen. Wait, are you recording right now? We're recording right you, now. Is you, this Will and Keith embrace each other? Yeah. Yes, it is. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, you're our special guest. We were actually planning to have you on the oh, podcast. Oh, yeah. I, we forgot to ask you, so... I, I haven't seen you in a while, I feel like, have I? Oh. Bring it in here, you Hello. They're hugging. Can you guys hear that hug? Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted it by saying they're hugging. <laughs> uh, have some coffee. Sit down. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I haven't watched whatever you guys are talking about. So. Well, we're talking about the, the podcast. podcast. <laughs> As I mentioned to you, this is our special 12th episode. 
which, as you know, is a very important anniversary. See, I told you this would all come together. <laughs> Look. This is serendipitous. Do you have a few minutes? Um, I do. Yeah, well, well, have a seat. Grab a seat. Sorry, this cable's in your way. Um, obviously, here. Oh, yep. Uh, we're also doing the limbo competition today. <laughs> that would I lost. Be, that would be Just cool. lost. Let's, let's make this podcast about really visual things that no one yeah. will be able to see. Uh, yeah, so we, actually, Will and I were just reflecting about the about the podcast because this is what um, this is what our topic is today is us. It's very meta. Um, so you you've listened to at least most of I think ten. I, I stopped listening because you said there would be um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier spoilers, mm. um, and so I wasn't caught up, and so I started that episode and then stopped it. That's but probably. Probably for the best. So you've heard, yeah, by far the majority of our episodes. First of all, thank you for being a loyal listener. You, you may be one of our most loyal. Well, thank you for not inviting me to be on the show. It's a pleasure to <laughs> We really meant to do something. We really did. I mean, we really mentioned meaning to do something, but we didn't. So just a quick introduction. This is Devin McEwen. He's my brother. Uh, he's 36 years old. And, you don't uh, have to tell them my age. Sorry, he's 29 we, years we old. Just, we just lost a whole demographic. I mean, he's young and he's on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> he does great TikTok dances. Uh, uh, Devin's a, a world-class whitewater canoeist, and he's been in the Olympics in whitewater canoeing. And he's also my brother, and, uh, and he's, a, he's a brilliant and hilarious person. But he will not be demonstrating any of those qualities. <laughs> no, that's right. I'm not prepared. That's true. After this coffee, I'll be ready. To well, be brilliant. <laughs> keep, keep it down. You don't want to, you know, make us look bad. But, uh, but Devin, you also like, uh, you like pop culture. You like movies and books and music and stuff. I mean, I just like most pop culture. You love that time. Like, like any good pop culture <laughs> fan, you dislike most pop culture. Yeah. You, you're a big 90s fan, aren't you? That, that's what yeah. I think of you as. No, that, that, is, that is accurate. I feel like that was the peak of human civilization. Which is actually our listening demographic, so you've come to the right place. 90-year-old people from Sweden. <laughs> from Sweden. That's true. The 90-year-old Swedes love... Did you, love have you sh- shouted out to your Swedish listeners? We have. Okay, yeah. We have. Uh, but, but let's do it again. Can you say something in Swedish, Devin? I heard of him to flirt. Well, there they, there they go. And they're gone. <laughs> so offensive. Negative listens in Sweden. The one Swedish chef who was listening to you guys just stormed off. <laughs> and his puppeteer as well. Oh man, that's two listeners? Those were our only two. Did you guys ever have that cereal that they made? The Swedish, the Muppet Swedish Chef cereal? No. It was very brief uh, in the 90s, or maybe the end of the 80s, I guess, because of... I mean, I wasn't... TikTok, um... <laughs> Uh, it was this cinnamon star cereal. It was really delicious, and it only lasted for for a year or two, and then it was gone. I bet the internet knows about it. Mm. The internet knows a lot. Too much, yes. <laughs> but also very little. Also, wow, that's true. That's very true. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like the great the great dream of the internet was it will be the the most powerful device ever invented for sharing information. Mm. But I think what people maybe failed to realize was information is a very broad concept. <laughs> there are things that are information that are also lies. It's it's sort of like uh, the the Ouroboros. Is that how you pronounce that? I think it's 
Ouroboros. Ouroboros. Yeah. yeah. So if you take that, how do you do? You pronounce that? No, I was gonna say I don't know what that is. Regardless it, of that, it's the it. snake that eats its own tail. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And so the internet is that, and the human centipede. <laughs> all, all, all in one. It's a closed system. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the human <laughs> in graphic detail. Yeah, that'll be fun. I've not seen that movie, but I'm happy to discuss it in graphic detail. That's we uh, love I to do that. And I still know too much about it. Yeah, yeah, I kind of agree. Let's move on very, very, very quickly. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I mean it. It is a good analogy. I've actually, I finally. Uh, deactivated my Twitter account, but I still check in on Twitter occasionally because you can still go to someone's profile. Oh, really? If you don't have an account. I must be banned. It's I sort think. of interesting the way they do it. You can't get to the homepage if, you don't have an, if you're not logged into your account, but you can get to someone's individual Twitter feed. Mm. So you can find anything, but you have to find it through Google and not through Twitter. Um, anyway, it was, it was really interesting to get heavily into Twitter for like a month or two. Um, because you you just realize what a cesspool. Actually, I found an amazing quotation about it. I hope I can find this. Keith's uh, <laughs> reflecting on how horrible Twitter is and how he wants to stop making Twitter the center of his conversations. I think I, you need to get a clickier keyboard so that when you're recording the podcast, people know that you're searching. Yeah, uh, that's a good call. Yeah. Oh shoot. We almost sure. never do it. I'd love to find this thing. Maybe we need like a clicking, oh, here clicking it is. device. Here it is. I have it. Ticka, ticka, ticka. All right. Here's, here's uh, Jonathan Haidt, the great moral psychologist on Twitter. It's like opening a garbage can and watching rats and cockroaches fighting. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fun. Yeah. Well, it is kind of fun, actually. It's, it's kind of fun. And, and, you know, and you get into arguments yourself, and it's kind of fun. Uh, it's horrible. Like it's it it feeds this dark part of yourself. Mm. I guess one of the key uh, epiphanies that that uh, tech companies have had, or maybe even just their algorithms have had, is that uh, outrage is the most clickable emotion. So people will occasionally click on something that they think is funny or heartwarming or inspiring or interesting but they will very, very reliably click on something that they find outrageous, and they will respond to something that they find outrageous, and that's mm. another level of engagement. And, and I think once that, I had that explained to me, I think it was on the, the Sam Harris podcast, uh, one of his guests was talking about that phenomenon. Once that was explained to me, I started to see it in myself. That I go on YouTube or Twitter, and I'm actually looking for something that's going to make me angry. Like, that's what I want. It's not... Oh, I just happened to run into something that makes me furious. It's like, no, that's that's what I'm there for. I'm there to get. That doesn't I'm, surprise me. Were you surprised at yourself? I'm not surprised. Are are you not surprised because of me or just because of human nature? Both. You're like, I want to either get into a fight or see a cat do something funny. <laughs> I feel yeah. I mean, right. If if those two were equally balanced, I'd be much more comfortable. The reality is I'll spend like 1% of my time watching a cat do something funny and about 95% of my time either getting into a fight or watching people fight. Uh, so you, you, think I, you think I'm that kind of person? Like a conflict-seeking person? Not necessarily conflict-seeking, but I feel like you have, you have strong opinions and you like to voice them and you like to have discussions or debates... And I think on the internet, which is sort of 
you know, like a steroid for human traits. Yeah. That translates logically to me into people who like to fight on the internet. You know, there's like, there's professors who are, you know, well, yes, I'd like to have a lively debate with you. And they get online, they're like, God damn you! (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is lively. I don't know if it's a debate. Well, that's what I'm saying. On the internet, everything gets so much worse. Right. Or just, or just, or, or better. Yeah, well, it's sort of distilled to its essence. It's yeah. like, what do you call a fire that spreads? Is it worse or is it better? You know? <laughs> it's better at being a fire. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I mean. But yeah. it's worse for the world. It's improved its capabilities to burn things. Yeah. Well, and in my defense, I, I have not descended to the level where I'm just like screaming expletives at people. I've definitely been judgmental or contemptuous or condescending. Um, but I, but I, I, I've, I've never, I've never written something on the internet that I just comprehensively regret. There are conversations I regret getting into mm-hmm. that I sort of wish I hadn't bothered to engage with that weren't like a good use of my time, probably all of them. But I've never, I've never been a person on the internet that I would just feel totally uncomfortable being in any other, well, it depends on what you mean by uncomfortable. I've never done anything I'm deeply ashamed of. But I don't like the side of myself that is seeking out confrontation. And I don't actually like confrontation. Hmm. It just, it just like, it activates my nervous system, I guess, in a way that becomes addictive, which is not really the same as saying that I like it. Wait, have you shared your experience of, of uh, convincing the stranger on Twitter that you were right? Because <laughs> I feel like that is a very notable internet experience almost never happens i've i've had two really gratifying uh interactions (laughs) (laughs) since the birth of the internet right one was on aol in 1997 oh man that was great (laughs) that was a good one those were the days do you remember when we all pretended i think it was all three of us i assumed that that's what we were talking about we all pretended to be uh, like a 21 year old male right we were all 10 or, or 12 or something and we wanted to flirt with women on the internet <laughs> and so we created this persona that was all three of us i think his name was will actually Isn't, i don't know why he had your name i think that's the internet equivalent of three kids getting on each other's shoulders and wearing a trench coat yeah in movies <laughs> yeah but, but we actually had a conversation with at least someone who claimed to be a, a young woman, right? We actually... I mean, there was young, also a three year old It voice. probably <laughs> was also a three year old voice. But do you guys remember this? Like, we had a whole back and forth with her, and then at some point, w- you know, with him or her or whatever, like, maybe it was the other guy. With them, we can but, say... But, yeah, but there was a female persona that our male persona interacted with, and then we, at some point, we felt guilty, and we we told this person, we were like, hey, like, we were lying to do you. Do you remember this, Devin? Uh, vaguely. So, yeah, then we, we came clean, and we were like, listen, we're like three ten-year-old boys, and we're sorry. And, and this, uh, the, the person was really understanding about it, which I guess does suggest that that, that was also probably a fake persona. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that was, one of, that was one of my earliest internet memories, was like pretending, pretending to be this other thing. And so the other good memory was the Twitter one that Devin was referencing. Oh, right, 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 right. Right, so, yeah... Well, it was such a dumb thing to have. It wasn't even an argument, really. It was a post about Superman. 
It was a post about Superman. This whole story is so weird. So the eminent <laughs> biologist, Richard Dawkins, right? Great evolutionary biologist and best-selling author, shared an article entitled, Does Superman Have to be White? And the article was written by, I think, a black guy. Is this, what, for, like, sun absorption or something? Right, exactly, because okay. he's a solar battery, and, of course, a solar battery would have to be white. Uh, no, it was, it was written by, uh, I don't know, a man of color who found the character of Superman supremely inspiring and who, who actually felt like like that specific icon that he is, you know, should be a white person. That was his argument, right? And it was, like, pretty interesting and pretty personal and, and nuanced and stuff. But, uh, so I read this article, I thought it was good. Um, but the comments responding to Richard Dawkins's post were almost entirely from people who had not read the article. They were just responding to the headline, which is a thing people will do. Does Superman have to be white? So there were a lot of, as you can imagine, there were a lot of very, very strong opinions on both sides of this question. And a number of people were making this claim that Superman originated in the writings of Nietzsche. Right? The, oh, know. the Ubermensch? Exactly, oh. right? Nietzsche wrote about the Ubermensch, which, which is then co-opted usually, by the Nazis, right? Yes, exactly. Nietzsche's ideas are co-opted by the Nazis, but largely because of his sister, who was a Nazi sympathizer. Um, but yeah, so Ubermensch is often translated as Superman, uh, usually translated as Superman. And there, as far as anyone knows, there's no connection between those two. Like Siegel and Schuster created the character of Superman in 1938. And they never said in an interview that Nietzsche was in any way an influence. It's possible, right, that they got the, they cribbed the name from him. Conceptually, they don't sound like Nazis. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, which was which was actually a point that I was trying to make. Oh, and yeah. like, yeah. So this is a, there are a couple of, of Jewish teenagers, uh, and you know, not only Jewish, but they were like they were explicitly anti-Nazi. I mean, Superman fought the Nazis oh, in his earliest yeah. appearances, right? So, uh, so anyway, so so. A couple of people were making this claim of like, well, you know, Superman comes out of Nietzsche. And I was, I just engaged with one of these people and I just basically said, well, no, it doesn't. And, you know, just kind of, it wasn't an argument because I was just telling him he was wrong. Little background, Keith is a Nietzsche super fan or uber fan. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to... I feel, I feel like people are going to make all sorts of <laughs> negative assumptions about me. I, I read Nietzsche a lot in college, and I really enjoyed reading Nietzsche. I, I think he's fascinating. Uh, but you still can't figure out why you got all those alt-right <laughs> YouTube pop Yeah, well, how does that happen? I don't understand. Uh, yeah, I, I think Nietzsche's great, and I think, I think some of the uh, uh, sort of criticism of Nietzsche is, is unfair. Although, you know, it, to say that his ideas were co-opted by the Nazis is correct. Anyway, um, um, I'm also a big fan of comic books. So I went back and forth with this guy. And, and I guess most of the conversation was just me trying to prove that I knew what I was talking about. Right? So he'd be like, well, look it up. Nietzsche wrote about Superman. And I'd be like, I've read Nietzsche. I love Nietzsche. He, he wrote about a character called the Ubermensch. It's often translated as Superman. It would be more accurately translated as Overman. Right? Just, just trying to establish that I knew what I was talking about. But, you know, th- this is just some random person on the internet. He wasn't particularly articulate, even. So there's no reason to believe that, that you could get through to him. And then at a given point in this conversation, we go back and forth a few times, and at a given point in this conversation, he goes, I take it back. You're absolutely right. Thank you for the information. Have a wonderful day. <laughs> 
And I was like, you're welcome. Thank you. You have a one. And he even apologized All to me. All these red flags went up at the NSA. Like, what? <laughs> no one ever says that. Guy, that. that guy sounds like a real mensch. Like, like a real, like an Uber match, if you will. He evolved. You should, you should copyright that. That's good. Um, yeah, so it was this weird moment. And, and I think what happened was was just, well, essentially that my tactic worked, right? That I established that I knew what I was talking about. And once I had established that I knew what I was talking about, uh, he, you know, he sort of capitulated. But it is a thing that you very, very, very rarely see on the internet is someone actually backing down from, from there. And I'm not saying that I handled this well or that I should have taken the time in the first place. But it was it was gratifying to realize that at least some people are, are ready to revise their position. And it, it also happened to me in a, in a very minor way regarding the COVID vaccine, where I went back and forth with this guy who said he wasn't an anti-vaxxer, but he had his doubts about the COVID vaccine. And you know, we didn't reach a point where he said, oh, you're right and I'm wrong. Um, but we definitely reached a point where it was like a mutually respectful, where, where he acknowledged that what I was saying was, you know, I was saying basically, look, the vaccine is not without risk, but it's far less dangerous than COVID, which is true. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know that I changed his mind about it or that I changed his behavior, but we reached a point where he clearly heard what I was saying and I, we were treating each other with, you know, with respect. And that felt like a little, a tiny little victory in itself. What dark corners of the internet are you going to where people... Listen to each other and agree with each other. So Richard Dawkins's Twitter feed and Nate Silver's Twitter feed. Those are the places. Who is Nate Silver? He's a statistician. Uh, he wrote The Signal and the Noise, which is a popular book, and he runs a website called 538. Oh, right, right. Yeah, does yes. statistical analysis of politics and baseball, and also commentary. Uh, and that was, I got deep into 538 during the election because that's when, that's when they shine. That's kind of their moment. They, they, mm. you know, provide 24 hour coverage. And as you know, this past election, um, there was a lot to cover. There was, there was a lot of new data coming in every hour. Wait, I'm sorry. I haven't been keeping up with pop culture. Could you catch me up on just like a pricey of, of, of the 2020 last... election? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, God, it's, it's actually kind of hard to remember. I want to say there were two major candidates, both, were they both men or was it? Was it two men or... I'm sorry, I'm bored already. <laughs> <laughs> Can we I, talk about the Falcon and the Winter I wasn't going to feed into that moment. I, uh, let's, 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 let's give Devin a chance to say something. Let's ask him a question. <laughs> let's interview him. I was answering his questions. Let's yeah. put Devin on the spot when the coffee hasn't even kicked him yet. Here, have some more coffee. <laughs> oh, yes, please. Uh, Make sure you get the audio. The sound of coffee pouring is the best part of this podcast. You know, we were just referencing that observation. That wasn't originally your observation. No. Uh, it really makes me feel good. Yeah, every, every <laughs> time I hear that statement, a little piece of me dies. Uh, so, yeah, so, so now, well, yeah, so, I mean, you've been listening to, obviously you've known us both a long time, so you come at this podcast with that perspective. I assume a lot of our listeners, or maybe almost all of our listeners, know at least one of us. Uh, but you've known us both forever. Um, so what what has your experience been like as a listener? Of, you don't have to shower us with praise. Listening to the podcast is really interesting for me. Um, I don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts, but I'm usually listening to it in my car. And I keep having an experience over and over, and you think I'd learn, where you guys are like riffing on something. And I'll like chime in, and then I'm like, oh, they can't hear me. You know, It feels very much like being in the room with you, listening to it. 
And then I have to remind myself that it's, you know, canned. Imagine if we did, and it was like the never-ending story <laughs> where all of a sudden you were changing the story. Wow, that would be cool. Let's try that. It sort of feels like the never-ending podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should retitle it, because you said we were going to do a new season. We should call it the never-ending podcast. Yeah, it's so hard for me me to be objective about it, because I love spending time with you guys, and especially, like, in the past year, where we're kind of potting and unpotting, la, la, la. Um, uh, You know, it's nice to, like, be able to hang out with you even when I can't hang out with you. So, uh, it's... It, yeah, sorry, that was, that was so cheesy. That was so uh, sweet. <laughs> so, someone make a snide comment. Snide uh, <laughs> comment. Um, uh, yeah, so like it, it, it's, and you're also usually talking about, you know, nerdy stuff that interests me. So mm. it's hard for me to be at all objective about it, but I've been really enjoying it. And, Thank you. Um, even even when you're, you're discussing things that I'm not familiar with, like, you know, I, I, I'm like, it makes me curious to delve into whatever it is you're talking about. Nice. I mean, my latest assignment, as you probably know, is I've been catching up on Jessica Jones from six years ago. <laughs> I've watched half of the first season. I don't know if we want to get into this now. Yeah, let's do it. But I watched half you, of the first season. Have you seen season. this, Deb? Any of the Netflix? Marvel? I haven't. I've seen a few episodes of Daredevil. Daredevil, okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I only watched, as I mentioned, I only watched the first season of Daredevil. And then kind of somehow lost interest, even though I really enjoyed that first season. Um, and I remember when Jessica Jones came out, and there was a lot of hype about it. Um, but a fair amount of the hype was just like, oh my god, there, there's so much sex, and it's a female character who likes to have sex, and that's, you know, that's so revolutionary. Is that, that what people were saying? I'm interested. <laughs> yeah. that, that's what people were saying. There was a lot of focus on the sex, and, oh. and the fact that there are lesbian relationships in the show. Uh, and, and it just seemed like, I don't know. I, I wasn't. I'm not pro or or anti sex on television, but it felt like it's similar actually to the way that people used to talk about Game of Thrones before I was into Game of Thrones. Uh. People be like, "Oh my god, this is the greatest show ever!" And then half the time, the next thing they would say would be like, "This is the greatest show ever." Oh, there's all these. There's so many boobs. You see a lot of boobs, and and then you know there's people like getting their faces ripped off and then getting stabbed in the gut. Like, the first thing people would go to is just the most superficial. And again, I'm not against sex or violence on TV. I think both can be <laughs> very... Oh, yeah, sorry, in real life, I'm against both. I'm against sex and I'm against violence. So, I mean, but on television... I mean, I think, I think again, this, it's a, just another great example of, of, of the, the detriment of internet culture. Maybe that's yeah. So I I come into all these things having because I don't I'm not on social media coming in with a sort of just no expectation no right. idea and I just watch uh, something for what it is and I would have never that never really came to my mind the the me me neither part, like it didn't I mean it was dark and gritty and you know provocative but it didn't it was not. I never would have thought that would be the talking point. No, me neither. Like, yeah, there's some sex in the show, and there's some violence, and there's some lesbian relationships, but the show does. The show isn't exploitative. It's not making a big point out of this stuff. It's not trying to hammer home some kind of message. It's just a gritty noir set in New York City, and sex and violence are just parts of parts of life. Those things happen in New York City. They do happen in New York City. Never here in Connecticut. Um, yeah, so, like, the show itself doesn't feel shallow or exploitative. Similarly to the way that, 
Game of Thrones didn't feel shallow or exploitative, except occasionally. Yeah, except um, for those the scenes that they put in. With it, eventually, they got to brothel scenes that really didn't need to be brothel scenes, and you started to feel like uh, there was a reason. But um, but it's it's one of those weird cases where the people who are fans of the show are talking about it in a way that really trivializes and kind of degrades the show. Like the show is so much, and like if it were just like cheesy uh, softcore porn. That would be fine. I'm not against that. But that's not what it is. It's actually, it's an emotionally complicated show. Are we talking about Game of Thrones now? Uh, I think I'm talking about Jessica Jones, but I've completely lost track. Okay. No, I'm talking about Jessica Jones. Uh, it's, Game of Jones. <laughs> exactly. It's really good. I mean, I think it's probably better than Daredevil. Uh, I really, yeah, I think Jessica Jones is a great show. You should watch it, Deb. It's great. and, and But part of the reason it's great is that it's... It's not that melodramatic. I mean, it is in some in some ways. It's certainly a heightened world. Uh, it's not maybe as realistic as it as it pretends to be, but it feels grounded. It feels like the characters are real people. Like they have real struggles, real needs, feelings. Um, it's it's not shallow. It's not adolescent. It's not wish fulfillment. It's complicated. It's dark. It's very noir in the deepest sense. Not just playing with those noir conventions but like exploring the darkness and ambiguity of the human soul, which is what noir is about. It's a post-war genre, and it's about alienation and cynicism, and oftentimes people who are attempting to be heroic through their, their pain uh, and their dis- disillusionment and their trauma. Um, so the, the show's very, it's very deep and, and very interesting, and it's frustrating to me that people talk about it like they're a bunch of hormone-addled teenagers. I'm not against seeing attractive people make out or get naked. That's fine. But why, why would we obsess about that when there's so much more to talk about? It's almost as if people on the internet are useless idiots. <laughs> it's almost like... I, yeah, I, I actually I sort of think this whole topic is really fascinating. The degree to which pop culture is about is about like selling softcore pornography to people in a way that they feel comfortable with. It's like the Ghostbusters theme song. It's well no it's not. <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> it's it's not. Now you have to maybe you have to explain. <laughs> so I was I was before we started recording and just as um, uh, we were we were listening to uh, kids Halloween radio and the Ghostbusters theme song came on as one does in May. Yeah, uh, you, know, <laughs> you, you know me. Uh, and and about two thirds into the song, they're doing sort of instrumentals of reprise, and 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 the the uh, the singer just goes, "It feels so good when I bust." I think he says, "Busting makes me feel good." Oh, <laughs> oh God, yeah, that is. He, he says, "Busting makes me feel good." Oh, which is. The exact same. Your version is maybe. <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny because I completely believed you that that was what he said, and I could even hear him saying it in my mind, and it's definitely not what he said. Okay, but I mean, it's the same thing to me. Bustin' makes me feel good. I I agree with Devin. I think it's different. <laughs> All right. Well, my point is. Is that it sounded dirty but, but to me. And my I think point is, is sneaking in a little bit of sexual innuendo in something that's supposed to be more innocent is is not, it's not exactly the, you know, that's being a little bit cheeky and subversive. It's not exactly the same as 
titillating people without acknowledging that that's what you're setting out to do. It, it feels to me like... Are you referring to every HBO show ever? I mean, yes. I mean, it's complicated. I, I, in general, I don't think there is a lot of gratuitous nudity in, for example, Game of Thrones. There's a lot of nudity in it. I mean, relative to what we might expect, I guess. It's not like people are just walking around naked all the time. Yeah, but the show is like an hour, an episode, something like that, right? Right. And, and the like brothel scenes are just a few minutes. Right. So it's very easy to exact, and the same thing is true of the violence in that show. The average episode of Game of Thrones doesn't have that much violence either. It has a little, probably, but really not very much. Occasionally there's a battle episode, and that will have more, because it's a battle. Um, but so it's not so much, it's not so much that the creators are disingenuous about what they're selling. I mean, that can happen also. But it, it's like it's like the audience isn't prepared to, I don't know, I'm, I'm fully... I'm fully prepared to accept that uh, like a, a complex and well-realized work of art will be, among other things, sexy. Like That's one of the 25 or 50 different things that a work of art can be, is sexy. And it's great. It, it's good that things are sexy. That it, it's, it's not a neutral, it's a good, right? It's good if something is funny, even though not everything has to be funny. It's good if something is provocative, you know, intellectually, even though not everything has to be. And it's also good if something is sexy, even though not everything has to be sexy. But it, it feels like there's, there's, it feels like we're a little bit in denial as adults about the degree to which we are adults. Like, I don't know. Sorry, I don't know how to get at it. It feels like we don't want to admit that we're watching television partly to be titillated. Like, we want the titillation to be disguised. We want it to be sold to us in some kind of acceptable package so that we don't have... And it's not just sex. You know, it's, it's violence as well or, or even horror. Like, um, I don't know. There, there are deeply serious films that are about things like trauma that are also maybe just an excuse to, like, get off on... Not even get off sexually, but ju just to get off on something sick. Like Monster's Ball? Yeah. It's been a while since I saw... It's like a monster's ball. You know, Billy Bob Thornton and... Uh, right, and Halle Berry gets naked, but yeah. it's not that sexy, but she does get naked. And it's very, it's all their shared trauma, and it's like a yeah. very dark movie, but also like, you know, becomes like very sexual. It's, yeah, and, and it's not to say that's a bad movie, I think that's a good movie. Yeah. But, I don't know, it, it, it feels like maybe as a culture we're not honest with ourselves about on what level we're... <laughs> We're taking these things in. I don't know. Am I, am I making any sense? Yeah, I think it can just be awkward to admit that to yourself. Like, it, you know, if you suddenly have that realization and you're in the middle of, of an episode of Blues Clues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, that's You're true. like, I'm just watching this purely for the tittle. <laughs> <laughs> that blue dog is naked. That's a naked... Why is he wearing a collar? Oh, kinky. I mean, I, I'm, always, I'm always surprised that people care about, you know, how attractive the people in a show or movie are, or, you know, if there are sex scenes, violence. I, 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 I don't, I think I'm pretty honest with myself when I say I don't go for any of those things. I don't mind them at all, mm. but it just seems when, when you put too much emphasis on it, that it, it, 
it's just it's showing your hand that you're just trying to use a cheap way to get interest. And right. I'm always fascinated that people are interested in that. I mean, I mean, if it's like on the CW and it's marketed, you know, to 12 year olds, right? Then I I understand it. Um, but then you know, like you said, there's adults who love those shows, right? Yeah. And part of what's weird about it is if if you wanted to watch, oh, did everyone get more coffee? Uh, I am good on coffee. You're good. Okay. Um, if you wanted to watch, you know, if you wanted to watch material that is explicitly designed to arouse you, that material is easy to find. <laughs> Easier than ever. So Especially if you have a Disney Plus subscription. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so it's a little bit odd. You know, you know yeah, if some, if some famous Hollywood actor does a nude scene, that'll be a front-page headline, at least in entertainment papers. Uh, meanwhile, if you want to see attractive people who are naked, you can just go on the internet any time of any day, and you can see them to your heart's content. So why am I only just now finding out about this? <laughs> <laughs> have Have you guys seen the Shannara Chronicles or heard of? Them? I have heard of the uh, wait, yes Terry book. It was Terry. Uh, yeah, it was a book. Uh, series. Sort of Shannara. I think I might have read the first one or I started the first one like a million years ago. Terry, what's his name? Terry, is it Terry Brooks? Or is that? I don't know. Okay. I don't, I have not read the books. I didn't know they were books. I just, I found out a, a MTV made a show out of it. Okay. And, MTV? Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, uh, you know, I love fantasy stuff. So when like a new like fantasy show exists, I get really hype about it. Um, and this was just a perfect example of one of those, like, the CW-style shows where they're just casting, you know, uh, 18-year-old models to to try to be sexual in a fantasy setting, and it's, uh, it's oh, yeah. such a letdown for me. I'm looking at the stills now, and yes, it's uh, it's ludicrous. Right. Wait, Ludacris is in it? Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's super sexy. He does a sex scene. It's <laughs> it's it's off. It's I have this this eighteen year old model called Ludacris. And, uh, yeah, and there's like in a, there's one episode where it turns into some like dance party orgy, and I just couldn't go any further. I I just yeah. I, I just can't believe that. Yeah. I mean, but it sells, you know, like you said, people want to see that. It You're just... like, I couldn't go any further. I just had to pause it for eight <laughs> to ten minutes. <laughs> just had to loop that scene over and over. Um, yeah. So that's it. I, I, I recommend watching that if you want to see, you know, what this sort of models sell television does to TV, but I mean, I any, don't, I don't want to, any no. sort of CW show. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like I said, I certainly don't want to come across like I'm, I'm against it. You know, I'm not, I'm not against, uh, attractiveness. I'm not against sex. We're not against anything here on the podcast. Just to be guys. clear, we... we're in favor of everything <laughs> because we have convictions. We have principles. <laughs> Our principled stand in favor of everything is unwavering. Um, 
Now, I don't know. Well, it's frustrating. It's frustrating when my personal experience is I would have really enjoyed Jessica Jones when it came out. Mm. And not that it's anybody's responsibility to sell the show to me, but it would have been nice if the kind of buzz around the show had been, oh, this is great storytelling. Mm. Instead of, ooh, ladies. I mean, I'm sure people were posting about that. They, it just doesn't get the traction on the internet. Yeah, I mean, to be fair. It was, it was not top comments. I think it was yeah. both. I think it was both, and I was aware of both. <laughs> Downvoted 100 times <laughs> at the bottom of the Reddit thread. Shut up, you quality, you quality freak. You boomer. Get out of here. Get out of here with your deep storytelling. No one cares. Lesbians. Uh, anyway, the show's great. I'm about halfway through the first season. And How many seasons are there? There are three. And then she's also in uh, The Defenders. Um, Which I hear is terrible. Yeah, I th- I, that was sort of, I think, when they were trying to wrap everything up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, 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 the Netflix Marvel Universe that they built is worth a watch. Um, Luke Cage is good. Iron Fist is fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling like a little bit of a chump, but I really shouldn't blame anyone but myself. I should have at least given it a chance. I mean, Jessica Jones, I think, is the best show in the universe. So it seems like it the is Marvel universe or the universe the, in the entire universe. Though Pluto has some interesting things coming out right now, but it's hypersexual. No, no one's gonna watch them now that it's no longer a planet. So. Yeah, who even cares? Well, that it's 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 all dwarfs. <laughs> <laughs> Sort of a Game of Thrones uh, mm. homage. Uh, yeah, but anyway, I'm super. I'm super enjoying it. I like I like the way, the, the writing keeps finding new ways to twist the knife. It keeps finding new and more, and more painful situations to put the characters in, um, and it's extremely dark without losing track of its humanity. Right, it's not a show about people being miserable and depraved. It's a show about people trying to maintain their noblest impulses in a world that is full of uh, misery and depravity. Uh, and I, I really, I think that's really well depicted. I think the, the way that the character of Jessica Jones is written and, and played is walking such a great fine line where she's a mess. She's really uh, like a fairly desperate and pathetic individual, but you can also see the seeds of something better. I mean, for one thing, she's been through hell. Like she has genuine trauma, so it's not. She's not a mess for no reason. She's not like, oh, I don't know. I just like to drink. Um, <laughs> but you can see that's me, right? That's more <laughs> like Devin. What I like about the character is that she's not like Devin. <laughs> what, what's interesting too is if if she comes across as being so tough, yeah. But if you took away the leather jacket and the volumes of black hair, mm. she would look basically like my sister, like a <laughs> tiny, like 90 pound, like little thing. Yeah. But in the show, she's got like boots and a jacket and her hair is like, and so she looks like a, like a badass, but well, it we, plays it well. We need to try to reverse this and put Bridget in a, you know, black wig and leather jacket and see whether she looks like a badass. I think Bridget should definitely be Jessica Jones for Halloween. <laughs> I think that's got it. I don't know why the theme of today is Halloween, but it is. And Bridget, if you're listening, should that's your costume. we just play my Halloween mix for the rest of the episode? I mean, probably. It'd be more interesting than us talking. Uh, I have a Halloween mix. It's drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. 
Yeah, I mean, in a way, the casting is odd. I'm not sure Kristen Ritter is the obvious choice for that character. But, but it works. Is. It works. It like, does work. That's yeah. what, it, I just have moments where I'm like, wait a sec, she's like just a tiny person. Well, yeah, I mean, it helps that, uh, you know, well, spoiler alert, she has super strength. Mm. So you're not expected to believe that the natural strength of a 98-pound woman is the operative factor in these scenarios. Like, she is explicitly, uh, you know, strong beond the limits of human. She's capacity. an uberfrau. <laughs> She's a little bit of, you might call her a bit of an uberfrau, yeah. <laughs> you could use that term. Uh, so, let me ask you something, Dev. Have you, have you seen any movies or, or shows lately that of note for their uh, failure or success? Gosh, I feel like I have been watching more TV this year than I typically do, but now I'm trying to remember what. I'm sort of drawing a blank. So I watched Succession. That, that okay. I, oh, nice. Yeah, that, it's, I really it's like that show. It's incredibly rare for me to watch a, a TV drama. Um, you know, do full, you like full it? Seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very cynical, but it's very well made. I, th- I think, yeah, I think that show was great. Uh, really, it really kind of rubs you the wrong way in all the right places. Yeah, it's one of those shows like Jim Jim. <laughs> <laughs> makes me feel good. <laughs> it feels so good when I misquote <laughs> lyrics. <laughs> can't believe I fell for that. I don't, you know, I can't help it if I'm wrong. We, we need to fact check this. That's what Devin's here for. Thank you for coming, Devin. Uh, you're welcome. Anytime. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, I generally don't like um, fiction that where there's no one quite to root for, which Succession very much falls into that category. Um, uh, but it's, it's, it's kind of an exception. I think it's well enough done that even though uh, it's kind of cynical... I still, I still enjoyed it. Yes. What else? Oh, we watched an episode of Unsolved Mysteries about um, uh, the the uh, UFO sightings in uh, in Great Barrington. Which is oh, what? Yeah, really? right in our backyard. Wow. Yeah. Wait, do you know about this? No. Oh man, this should be an entire episode. Um, but yeah, in the in 1969, there were uh, a bunch of uh, UFO sightings, like in one night uh, around the Great Barrington Sheffield area. And there's a, you know that covered bridge in Sheffield? Yeah. Uh, that. Uh, That's where I go to commune with my alien overlords. Isn't that closed because it was part of this? I have that impression. I don't, I don't know if that's the case. Wow. But I do have yeah, that one of the sightings was there, um, and, and there's the, the, the revival of Unsolved Mysteries does an episode about it, and it's just super well done. Wow. The, the, cool. It's really, really well directed. Yeah. Um, and really compelling. Uh, yeah, so that's, I don't know, we, I had seen it before, and then, then Keith and my mom. When is the episode it. from, recently, or? Yeah, just a couple of years ago, I think it's from 2019. Cool. Um, yeah, it is really well done. We should watch more of Unsolved Mysteries. That show's good. Yeah, yeah, I'd, be, I'd, I'd definitely be curious, too. I, man, I'm, I'm, I'm so drawing a blank, I feel like I did watch something else. TV-wise oh, recently. well, speaking of Unsolved Mysteries, do you want to talk about uh, Evil Genius? Oh, that's right. That is another... Okay. Uh, another thing that's not really generally in my wheelhouse, but... Um, is that the Netflix show? Uh, yes. Um, yeah, it's a Netflix documentary, like, limited series. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, I watched that with my girlfriend, and then uh, I talked Keith into watching it, um, and that is... I'm not sure how well... Have you seen this? Uh, no, but I'm fine. You can spoil it. I'm not worried about it. 
Uh, well, I won't give. I mean, I think you can talk about it some without giving too much away. Don't don't, don't worry um, about it. But it's another thing that wouldn't generally be in in my uh, in my wheelhouse. It's uh, you know kind of like a true crime. Isn't that the story where the the it's a, the main the main suspect character is a woman who convinces someone else to commit a crime? Is that the premise of this? It's Basically, yeah, it's this famous case from 2003, was it? Yeah. The pizza bomber, the so-called pizza bomber case in uh, uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. Is that the Hillary Clinton? <laughs> right. So <laughs> Hillary Clinton was keeping all these children in the basement of a pizza shop. It's so a funny story. <laughs> Q, the quartermaster from James Bond. Was... <laughs> Is that how this goes? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so it was this. Sorry, oh, no, 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 it was this pizza delivery guy in Erie, Pennsylvania, who walked into a bank and had a bomb strapped around his neck, and robbed the bank, and said that he was he was doing all of this under under threat, right? Oh, he, right, yeah. That he had received instructions, and you know he was told the bomb would go off if he didn't follow these instructions to the letter, and so he was just the instrument of this crime, and then. Uh, and then the story progresses from there. Sorry, I hope you don't mind. I took over. No, no, no. You're much better at, at um, relating things in a. In a uh, so it's good though. You got. You guys it. both like it. Recommend it. It was pretty interesting. Yeah, it's not super well done, but the subject matter is so interesting that it doesn't even really matter, um, and it has a you know like a lot of like original footage and interviews and stuff. So so it, it's it has sort of like a somewhat like amateurish podcasty feel to it not to diss podcasts <laughs> uh, get out of the room yeah. i mean we're Leave uh, your coffee we're still looking oh, up God, at the I'm amateurs uh, but uh but yeah it's, it, it doesn't really like the 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 um uh like sort of the shortcomings of the production don't really matter because mm. the because it's so interesting. Yeah, it is. I think one of the things that you learn from a lot of these true crime stories, you can learn it over and over and over again, is that ordinary people, normal people, are so weird. <laughs> They're just so weird. Like, re real, actual human beings are the strangest thing. You know, and in fiction, even complicated characters are comprehensible. But in real life, real people are just... They're just mysteries. They're just total puzzles. And it's not just the psychopaths and the criminals and the weirdos. It's like everybody. Everybody's a mystery. Everybody's some kind of blank, some kind of cipher. It's fascinating. I mean, uh, human life is just so complicated. It's like, why are children the way they are? You know, the, the, the things we absorb in infancy, we don't even understand. And then we have years and years to sort of digest whatever else happens and it's 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 almost so much of it is almost like inexplicable like we don't really know right and we don't understand ourselves in a story you're like oh this happened and this happened you know and so now she drinks and you know right. has superpowers but in real life you know when it's 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 so complicated yeah and, and, and unquantifiable it's it's a it's and you don't stop. We don't stop to think about it. I mean, we we operate with people on the surface a lot, but not. There's so much there. Even even for like the most bland interaction or or or, or day to day stuff. Yeah, well, and it's actually something that I think has been 
brought into relief in the last few years because of the pandemic and because of how politically polarized everyone is. I think we have maybe a new awareness that we share the world with people who are just, you know, and not to say there are just two worldviews. That's not, that's not, that's not accurate, right? <laughs> we accept all worldviews. We, we love everything. But, um, yeah, I think we're, we're probably more aware than ever that we're sharing the world with people who just see it fundamentally differently. Like people who just live, and you know, you might you might see them see them at the grocery store. You might even be able to have a pleasant conversation, but there there are certain things about uh, our our social universe. Just keep going. I'm just <laughs> Will is examining the half and half container very very closely. I just was noticing some some. Uh... You see what I mean about real people? Yeah, like why did he suck. do that? <laughs> Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm making a supremely obvious point, but I, I, I feel like, at least I'm newly aware of, um, I don't know, yeah, just the strangeness of, of everybody. And, well, and one of the things that you realize is, on both sides of any argument, there are people who are deeply irrational. So it's not, it's not like, obviously, on some issues, there is a correct Position, right? There's a, on some issues. There's a factually correct position. Coke, like, like exactly, like Coke is superior, yeah, to Pepsi. Um, but even when there's a factually correct position, the people who are correct aren't necessarily any more rational than the people who are incorrect. You can be right for the wrong reason. You could maybe even be wrong for the right reason. So it's not like, oh, we see that the people who disagree with us are just lost in this sea of irrationality and misinformation. Yes, we do see that. But we also see that the people who agree with us are prone to irrationality and misinformation themselves, either on a different topic or on that exact same topic. Um, I generally like people who disagree with me more than people who agree with me. Because that's because people who agree with you are idiots. Yeah, that's, I think that's true. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I wonder whether... Oh, sorry, sorry. No, please, please. Uh, just, you were saying that about evil genius kind of... You know, uh, you and I are both huge, uh, you know, fans of, of uh, like classic mystery novels, mm. and I wonder if part of the appeal of a mystery novel is that it takes um, very dark things and makes them like logical. You mm. know, there's a reason that this happened. Right. Uh, whereas contrast that with like you know uh, with like you know, noir fiction, it's often kind of like nihilistic. You know? Right. It's often kind of oh, there's just a, just this just happened. Like no one's. No one's good or bad, but like just it just know. leaves you feeling uh, like with an empty. It's not like a puzzle that fits together. Yeah, whereas whereas like you know, locked room mysteries or whodunits, they they're like you know they have, despite the fact that like very dark things happen, they have everything is sort of tidy. So yeah, you get that sort of when they bust the case. It makes you feel like good. This room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Well, but here's a puzzle. So you're talking about kind of hard-boiled detective fiction, you know, on the one hand, and then sort of the Agatha Christie thing, the cozy thing, on the other hand. So the heyday of both of those genres is right around the same time, right? Basically the, I mean, I guess 20s to 40s, right? And so they're, they're almost exactly contemporaneous. The Agatha Christie thing is taking place primarily in England, although you can find American examples, and the North thing is taking place primarily in the U.S. So the, the, they're both arguably kind of post-World War I developments, 
the way we talk about noir is is like oh it's a response to the the kind of horror and alienation of the experience of a world war well i guess even going on past world war ii as well it's it remains influential um in fact maybe maybe i'm getting this wrong am i getting this wrong well you came to the does, right place does hard-boiled fiction come a little later and is it more about world war ii than world war one I think of it as being slightly later, but I, I don't, I'm not really knowledgeable enough to say. Even if that's true, it's still confusing. Because, well, okay, so both countries fought in both of those wars, right? England and the U.S. both fought in both wars. Uh, and in both cases, of course, England was much more directly involved because they're in Europe, and that's where the war was primarily based, right? So in both cases, it was much more devastating for the English than for the Americans. They were in the war the whole time. They were much closer to the scene of the action. And... And if anything, World War II was the more comprehensible, right? It was sort of good versus evil, or at least it seemed that way. And I think to a large extent it actually was. Whereas World War I was a much more just fundamentally irrational conflict where there was no, there was no particularly uh, clear reason to go to war. They just had new weapons and they wanted to <laughs> They were like, you guys, you guys, <laughs> I think we could really make something happen here. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a bit odd to think of it's a bit hard to figure out why those two cultures that are sort of similar would would respond so differently, right? Why is it that why is it that the English, who had really been through hell, kind of kind of stayed in this world of the cozy mystery, whereas the Americans, who had been through hell but not to the same extent, uh, they leaned much more into this kind of cynicism and alienation, at least in that genre. I mean, it makes sense that you would get both reactions after sort of like a global trauma, right? You know, that some people would want to like put it behind them and pretend everything's mm. hunky-dory and that, you know, other people would, would sort of manifest that trauma in their, in their artistic output. But it, it is odd that it would be like geographically specific. Yeah. I mean, isn't it very American to be like, well, I know you had a hard time, but we had our hard time. <laughs> which was ours, and so it was worse than yours because yours happened to you. I mean, I don't know. I think probably narcissism is a universal trait. I don't. I don't think it's specifically an American trait. Uh, Says you. <laughs> what, that's what a narcissist would say. Well, yeah. <laughs> guilty, guilty as charged. Yeah, I don't know. I I finally read um, the Big Sleep. You know the classic. Uh, uh, what it is, Raymond Chandler, right? It's either Raymond Chandler or Dashiell Hammett. It's definitely one of them, and I'm pretty sure it's Raymond Chandler. Or Friedrich Nietzsche. Could have been Nietzsche, yeah. He was good, Nietzsche. He was good. Uh, I finally read The Big Sleep, I think, like, like last year, maybe the year before. And that book is... Of course, I knew the movie. The movie's classic, brilliant. Um, the book is so weird, because it's, it's barely a mystery. It has this mystery component. It is crime fiction, but the thing that it's about is alienation. It's like, it's like about Marlowe's psychology, and it's a it's about the he, yeah that he's this that he's this broken hero. He's this soiled knight. Uh, there's even there's even like a really heavy handed metaphor about I can't remember about the knight about the like uh, I wish I could remember what it was. I think it might be the knight from a chess set that gets broken, and like Marlowe's the broken knight, and it's like really, it's really, really, really 
heavy-handed. But the, the book is so much more focused on that than it is on solving the mystery or punishing the crime. And when is the book and the movie from, roughly? Are they uh, both, are they both yeah. very vintage? Yes. I'm going to look this up. I'm going to get it right. So we're talking about late... Wait. Okay, the movie's 1946. Wow. Okay, so that's interesting. The novel's 1939. So they literally bracket World War II, right? The novel is from the year that World War II began, and the movie comes out the year after it ends. Uh, so that's bizarre. <laughs> um, yeah, the, I think the movie, of anything, is better. No, the movie is better. Um, but the novel is more... Um, it's it's stranger. It's it's In a way, it's more of a work of art. Like It's more about a vision of the world than it is about telling a story. Um, really... Really fascinating. Odd that it became such a classic. Mm. Just such a weird book. Doesn't feel like a classic at all. Is the storyline there in the book? Or did they have to sort of flesh it out to make it make sense in the movie? The story, as I recall, is is broadly the same. I think mm. it is all there. But just the, the emphasis is totally different. Mm. And, and not, not to say the movie doesn't have those themes. The movie totally has those themes. But it, the movie's more of a... It's more of a movie. Right? It's, more, <laughs> uh, it's, it's less of a kind of fever dream. The novel feels like a fever dream. It has this sort of surreal quality to it that the, book, that the movie doesn't really have. Sort of an interesting feature of the mystery genre in general is that you have some mysteries that are very plot-oriented and it's just kind of a puzzle. Um, and there isn't, you know, there's obviously, like, the better ones have some characterization and, like, mood and stuff. But, you know, the, 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 the puzzle is very much central. And then you have other mystery novels where... It's just kind of a novel. Oh, yeah, someone happened to get murdered, but, you know, like The Singing Sands is an example that springs to mind. Right. The mystery's not even secondary. It's just... <laughs> yeah. Way off yeah, the that, I mean, part, I think what's surprising is that something like The Singing Sands, or maybe even The Big Sleep, gets categorized as mystery fiction at all. Like, you'll definitely find those. You know, Josephine Tay, Raymond Chandler, you'll find them, if you can find Tay at all, in the mystery section of your bookstore. Um, but they're yeah they're kind of just literary novels that are they happen. good or is is the singing sins did you enjoy it it's really good yeah. oh okay it, it's, it would be hard to compare it to other mysteries because mm. the mystery is so perfunctory um, but yeah it's super well written mm. it, yeah there's not even there's not much plot at all really no. it's kind of just a meditation well and actually Tay is fairly interesting because she wrote she wrote only a handful of books she wrote eight mystery novels uh, and some other stuff, but eight mystery novels, and uh, and they kind of run the gamut. Some of them are much more plot oriented. Generally, the weaker ones are more are earlier in her career and more conventional. And then, as her career progresses, she moves more and more into plot. And sorry, into theme and character and atmosphere, and away from plot. And that's her. That's her better. Daughter of Time is a pretty unique example. That's her most famous book. Daughter of Time is more like a conventional mystery uh, told in a very unconventional way. So it's like a murder mystery where the murder was committed 400 years before. <laughs> oh, and also the murder's a real-life murder. And so the fictional character is investigating a real-life murder from 400 years. Probably more than that, actually. Uh, I still haven't read that, believe it or not. It's supposed to be one of the best mysteries oh, of all time. Oh, shoot. Okay. Yeah. Well, I won't say anymore. Um, that, I mean, that's a brilliant book, and it's one of the most famous mystery novels ever written. So that's a fairly unique 
example where she's doing a very conventional thing in a very unconventional way. But most of her later work, like Brat Ferrer or The Singing Sands, is really just human drama that has some kind of mystery gloss on top. Mm. Yeah, I guess a few of the best mysteries kind of fit that description, like Tiger in the Smoke. The There's not even quite a mystery to it. It's, right. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a fascinating book. Marjorie Allingham is the writer. Tiger in the Smoke. She, unlike Tay, was very prolific. But similarly, she went from earlier in her career writing mysteries that are more like ordinary mysteries with her series detective, Albert Campion. And then by the time she gets to Tiger in the Smoke, which is, I want to say, mid-50s or so, uh, it's just way more about character and exploring the dark side of human nature. You spend really more time with the criminal in that case than the detective, but it's not sympathizing with the criminal. Like, he's, he's a monster, basically. <laughs> yeah. And yet, he's, he's interesting, right? He's compelling. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I would imagine that, obviously, you could do so much with plot, but you could explore so much more if you're not only trying to write an intricate sort of plot puzzle. Yeah. Um, and uh, I could imagine it would be much much more enjoyable to write something that sort of has more depth to it and less worrying about trying to trick someone yeah. with moving parts. Now, the very best mystery, no- mystery novels maybe have both, like an intricate plot and mm. all the extra stuff. Yeah. That's tough to pull off. Yeah, well, I think our mutual favorite author is John Dixon Carr, who's very much in the puzzle mentality and never abandons that, unlike the other. He, he gets all, he, you know, he wrote mm. 60 or 70 books. He never moves away from that model of the intricate plot. And he never, he never wrote a book whose characterizations feel as deep as as they could be. He, he, he's great with character. He's great with creating vivid characters who seem real. Um, but he never wrote a book where the, where the characters totally transcended the situation. Um, and, and maybe that was a choice. I don't know. I mean, he was a total genius. And it's quite possible that he could have written The Tiger and the Smoke or he could have written The Singing Sands mm. and just didn't want to. Maybe it was just a, just about a balance that he had found the balance that worked, mm. and why why step out of that? Yeah, maybe maybe I don't know if you if you want to flesh out your characters, you sort of need to choose to do yeah. it en- enough so that it balances out through the whole book, and then what? How much more would have he had to write to do both things? More? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing about Carr is that he loved mystery fiction to a degree that most mystery writers don't. Mm. I think he just was absolutely devoted to it and obsessed with it. Mm. And so I, I think if he had written 100 books or 200 books, he, he probably wouldn't... He, he wrote different kinds of mysteries, um, historical mysteries, and, and, and some are not as puzzle-like as others. But I don't think he ever would have reached a point where he would have wanted to go. Uh, and now uh, uh, an examination of the heart and soul of, uh, of a middle-aged <laughs> literature professor. That old joke about how all literary fiction is... Uh, who, who's, who said this? That every literary novel has the same plot, which is a 
a middle-aged professor of literature contemplates adultery. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, that's not... Oh, wait, yeah, that's kind of... You should uh, you should force Will to read one of these Golden Age mysteries. I'm really interested. I, I yeah. I, I I'm having a hard time picking up a new book. Like since since I read Game of Thrones, I just haven't been able to pick something up. All right. Well, then I'll just have to lend you a Clash of Kings so you can <laughs> keep on going. <laughs> He's I, like, wait, there are more of them. Oh, sorry. Terrible news. <laughs> Spoiler alert. There are more. Um. Yeah, we should do. We should do the, the Golden Age fiction. Should I read uh, the 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 Daughter of Time? Is that? I mean, that would be a great one. I mean, I could read it at the same time. Do you guys want to do a book club? Yeah, we could do a book club. I'll read it again. I'd love to read it again. I don't think it's very long. We had pitched that as one of the possibilities for the podcast when we first met. Remember that? A, like a book club idea? Yeah. Which is sort of which is sort of what we were trying to do where we talked about a topic and then we would come yeah so should we say right now to our audience that we're all in a book club together and there i guess it, maybe it's not giving people enough time uh realistically to read i mean it's not a super long book are we going to read the book uh, like on the podcast so, so people will just hear pages <laughs> yeah oh very slow reading yeah we're not going to read it out loud but we're going to record us reading it silently perfect okay that'll be very compelling Maybe more compelling than what we're actually doing. So sometime in season two, we're going to going to do an episode on. But okay, daughter of time. Yeah, Wait, you're splitting this up into seasons. Oh yeah, this is the this last is, episode this of is, season this one. This is the finale. Why am I here? <laughs> because you just wandered in. You, you can't bring in a new character at the end of the season. Of course you can. It's called a cliffhanger. Yeah, and then we'll kill him off in episode one of season two. <laughs> That'd be good. We're going to George R. Martin the shit out of you. <laughs> Is it okay that I just say one R because I'm lazy? You should, but just roll it. And then roll George R. Martin. I can't roll my R's, otherwise I would do it. I think people who get tired of saying his whole name sometimes say Germ. Oh. You know? I like that. So I guess that's a little bit... Germschwertorsch. It's not a pleasant sound, but... Then again, in some ways, he's not a pleasant man. Uh, so we have been recording for quite a while now. It's been an hour and 40 minutes. Um, should, should we probably maybe wrap it up? Yeah, I think, I think so. I hope you don't mind that I invaded no. almost the entire game. It was great. <laughs> no, I it was, was just going to pop in for a minute. But, uh, no, no we, I'm really glad you did. We were just talking about how we had talked about trying to have a guest this episode and that we had totally failed on doing any sort of preparation. And honestly, you swooped in and uh, it was It was great. kind of providential, to be honest. <laughs> Heard the door start creeping. We had kind of just gotten underway. It was like the timing was almost perfect. Yeah. We had some opening reflections, and then the door started creaking open, and then it was as if we had invited you to come in at that moment. The process oh, works. It works. And the creaking door has like a good, you know, um, whodunit mystery vibe. It sure it. does, yeah. We might have to enhance that later with Foley. Hmm. Is, is Foley your sound guy? That's correct. <laughs> that would be great. This is Foley. He's our Foley artist. That makes me think of that. Sorry, I shouldn't do asides on the podcast that human giant skit with the Foley artist. Yes, that is a very funny skit. We should talk about that on the next episode. Okay, we'll we'll save that for next time. Uh, well, thank you guys for joining me here. 
And <laughs> and uh, thank you for twelve episodes of joy. Yeah, we laughter. We're, we're doing great and sadness. Uh, it's going great. Thank you to our loyal listeners and our disloyal listeners. We appreciate you. We love you. Much like busting, you make us feel good. <laughs> <laughs> it feels so good when you when you like listen. and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> all right, good. All right, cool. And yeah, and we'll see you all next week for the beginning of uh, of season two, and we'll be talking about something. Yeah, fabulous. Meanwhile, get your copies of The Daughter of Time. Get get it now and start reading it, and we'll let you know when the deadline is to finish. They're gonna, Amazon's going to run out because of all our fans. It's going to be like Dr. Seuss. <laughs> this has Just been... more racism. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Devin subverts the process. <laughs> and out. <laughs>